millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast here to inspire you to discover and love the arts with weekly episodes of archive finds and theme series. In this mini series of three episodes, we're looking at the work of Michael Clark, the Scottish dancer and choreographer who has both challenged and delighted the establishment. His prodigious classical technique, fused with a determination to go his own way, often taking like-minded artists, musicians and designers with him, has created a dance language that's all his own, as he says for himself. And the idea of making dance for dancers or for a dance public is, um, you know, it's, it's ridiculous, I think. Michael Clark, Cosmic Dancer, is the first major exhibition to explore his work and collaborations, and it's on at the Barbican before travelling to the V&A Dundee in October 2021. I'm producer Freya Hellier and I've been talking to some of the key figures in Michael Clark's creative world. Today we're exploring Michael's affinity with the realm of contemporary art. My name is Sadie Coles and I have a contemporary art gallery in London which opened in the 90s. I'm a friend of Michael Clark's and was on the board of his dance company for many years. Initially I was a fan of Michael's uh, output which I first saw, I think, at Riverside Studios in the 80s, where he was the choreographer in residence and would put on new productions. But I was also aware of him and his collaborators from the London nightclub world, really, um, in the 80s. When I started working for Anthony Doffe in 1990, Michael had also just done a window shop window performance called heterosexual so so i also knew him through the context of art and art galleries um, the exhibition at the barbican is is a very special take on on michael because it presents both his work but also his uh, multifarious collaborations with other artists from musicians to fine artists to filmmakers to fashion designers um, and it really really captures the energy of his creative uh, spirit and the, the group of collaborators that he worked with right from the very early days. And there's this incredible sense of this group of remarkable people that, that uh, Michael put together who helped him really make his, his total vision. 
when I reached 15, which was, you know, it's a difficult age for everybody, there were always exciting things going on in music and in fashion and whatever, the whole punk thing. And that really attracted me much more than anything that was happening in dance. And since then, I felt, I really have felt, my, the driving force for me has been what's going on in the world rather than what's going on in the dance world. And the idea of making dance for dancers or for a dance public is, um, you know, it's, it's ridiculous, I think. There is something about Michael that is that he does think like an artist, and I've always categorised him not as a dancer but as an artist for that reason. I mean, he thinks completely outside the box. His um, creative output is of, often quite transgressive, making new connections between music and movement and fashion and theatre and performance that have an originality that is something that I would be looking for in the artists I show in my gallery. Um, from the very start, he also transgressed the limitations of the, the sort of contemporary dance scene in that he was making performances with music and costumes that were not in, you know, uh, not expected in that, in that category. And that, that just felt like like a sort of revolution in the same way that the YBAs felt like a revolution in terms of fine art. It was just, you know, a rebellious new movement. And Michael's work feels like that within the contemporary dance canon. I think that Sarah Lucas recognised a kindred spirit the moment she met Michael. They do share some content um, in terms of both being interested in in sex and gender and using it both as a, as a tool to provoke response and also to question conventions of dealing with sex and gender um, in their works so that they definitely have a kind of common ground. They, they also, both of them, are born rebels and there's a sort of energy around that. So, you know, seeing, seeing Michael and Sarah hunkered down together, smoking a cigarette, working on either a production idea for Michael or sticking cigarettes on a Sarah Lucas sculpture in her front room, but at the same time sharing a love of quite out there music. There would be a soundtrack to any activity that they were doing, which would be I don't know, Led Zeppelin or David Bowie or Can. There are so many shared interests between the two of them that I think that it was inevitable that they would start to work together. The subversive nature of Sarah Lucas's work certainly inspired Michael and they began to collaborate. Their first show was called Before and After the Fall. Yes, I mean, Sarah had been making these cast arms from sitters that she knew and she cast Michael's arm and then she attached these arms to springs on a wooden panel and they were they, they were sort of mounted on the wall and as you as you walk past one of these sculptures you would just tap it and the, the arm would just wank on its spring <laughs> and uh, Michael loved these works and the naughtiness of them I suppose and he asked her to collaborate on his before and after the fall, I think it was. Um, but anyway, so Sarah made a giant version of uh, the wanking cast arm, um, which had a sort of elaborate motor to make it move. And she and Michael came up with the idea of 
having a dancer standing in the the fist of the hand with it the hand going up and down like a metronome which is of course something that is used to mark time in in dance and music and it, it, it was very funny this piece it, it was set to the music of Nina Simone and um, some of the dancers were in uh, men's underwear the, co the costumes were, were, were based on wife fronts and wife beater vests which was, were also materials that Sarah had draped around some figurative sculpture, around chairs, to suggest a, fi a figure on a chair. So there was a very nice use of, of that material in both his performance and Sarah's work. I mean, in a way, you know, Sarah, a lot of Sarah's work is upending conventions around gender. So, so, uh, you know, her interpretation or, or upending of the male gaze, for instance, is is um, very consistent. And I would say that that uh, gender bending is also quite a lot in in my uh, exists quite a lot in Michael's work. So the use of this of these sort of blokey underwear outfits for the dancers was was very, you know, a, share, a sh sort of shared visual trigger for both of them. Michael's early work took an enormous um, amount from club culture in London at that time, which was incredibly creative and everybody dressed up. It was, it, there were, you know, lots of artists involved, you know, Carithwin Evans, Charles Atlas, um, the neo-naturists, Trojan, Lee Barry, all of these people were all in that nightclub scene. And Michael definitely, was influenced or took a lot from the energy of that of that scene, including um, working with many of the people that he went nightclubbing with on a regular basis, like the the Body Map, Stevie Stewart and David Hola from Body Map, or or Jamie Reed, the graphic designer, or um, some of the musicians that he worked with. So in a way, I don't really see it as punk. I see it more as 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 being club influenced. Well, I think Michael's work is actually hugely varied. You, you know, there are there have been um, productions where he's used classical music and where the the movements have been to to, to a certain extent much more um, traditional. But he has also, and and possibly this is this is him getting categorised. You know, is is more known for this kind of transgressive. Um, performances that use much more contemporary music or, or collaborate with contemporary culture in an in a obvious way. But for me, one of the things about him is that he's just very, very clever and he has a very advanced aesthetic sense for all aspects of his productions, from the costumes to the movement to the music he chooses to the kind of staging that he wants to use. Well, you know, when I was dealing with a certain type of audience, which I think I had at one time when I was at Riverside, for example, it was, um, it was too tempting not to go out of my way to do things that were going to irritate them, because there was a certain sort of very safe, left-wing type of audience, sort of whole meal, and, you know, it's just, I couldn't resist it. But now that we do so much touring and we go to places where, where you know, I really don't know what, anything about the culture or whatever, it's, it's I think the work, um, has broadened because of that, you know. It's very tempting as well because there's so many, like all these things coming through, like, like the clothes, 28 and all of that. It just makes you want to do things more extreme and that, more extremely. Um, and 
I think that's bad. You shouldn't have those things determining the direction that you go in. But unfortunately, it's um, just the way of the world, isn't it? I mean, I think he just, he really pushes every aspect and everything is incredibly considered. So I think it's a very, very sophisticated, conceptual body of work. And I think the reason that fine artists respond to Michael is because they can see that. They see that he is someone who is pushing boundaries, rethinking, and coming up with the most extraordinary and original works of art. You can dress things up with crazy costumes, wacky music, crazy staging, fantastic venues, but none of it will work unless the actual movement is good. And at the end of the day, I, I always felt like Michael's extraordinary uh, and very uh, recognisable sequences of gesture that he uh, gives his dancers, but also to watch him uh, perform himself is just absolutely exquisite. But it's, a, it's to a very, very high standard. And, and, you know, that's what I'm saying is that sometimes I think he gets uh, categorized as the punky dancer but actually if you look at what he's doing the precision and the quality of the movement is is really what elevates all other aspects of the productions thanks to cd calls to the bbc for the archive footage and to you for listening to this episode of nothing concrete next time i'll be talking to designer and co-founder of body map stevie stewart To plan your visit to Michael Clark, Cosmic Dancer, go to barbican.org.uk. And from October 2021, it'll be at the VNA Dundee. Subscribe to Nothing Concrete on Acast, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you'd like to hear more of the music connected to these episodes, listen to the Barbican's Michael Clark, Cosmic Dancer playlist on Spotify. Nothing Concrete is produced by me, Freya Hellier, for Loftus Media. The production coordinator is Cherie Houston. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.